listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up guys? Welcome to the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joined with me remotely is Zishan. Yo. Alright, man. So, right off the gate, you know, we just want to apologize for not having an episode posted last week. We are actually re-recording this episode uh, that we you know, we recorded, just didn't get the time to edit it, because uh, clearly I, I moved, so I didn't have a lot of time to edit to edit the episode. So we decided to re-record it just to make things a little bit more current uh, for you guys. But we're back to your regularly scheduled programming, uh, you know, going forward. But on this week's episode, we're approaching the the trade deadline, and... You know, there's going to be a lot of movement, so stay tuned for next episode where we're going to break down all the trade and all the, well, hopefully the madness that's going to happen, although it slowly has started to take place, honestly. Well, we'll get into some of what's happened already, but, um, you know, hopefully it is a content-filled episode next week. Yeah. Um, but again, based on how the season is going you never know right yeah like, honestly maybe nothing happens yeah also because of covid and <laughs> quarantining and stuff we really don't know what how the yeah exactly how trade is gonna go down but we decided to focus more so on the coaches rather than the players because again we all know that you know underperforming players are going to be candidates to be traded but there are a ton of coaches who are underperforming and are and could very well be on the hot seat either you know now or heading into the off season, so in this episode we wanted to break down a few coaches that we believe are on the hot seat uh, as of right now. So yeah, for sure. And um, again, um, you know, as Hani said, it's it's not necessarily that we think they could be fired right now, but just that they're on the hot seat, and you know, if they don't get fired right now, potentially going into the off season. Or, you know, maybe maybe we believe that they won't be fired anytime soon, but there's no question about, you know, these the the lack of security surrounding their situations, I can say. Yeah. Um <clears throat> so starting off with uh, you know, one of the worst coaches in the NBA, uh, in my opinion. Oh, and also we made this episode we did this episode kind of based off of our last episode, um, where Hani called a hit list, my my hit list. Yes, which I, hit list. I I don't believe. I I don't say it's a hit list because I just legitimately think it's gonna happen. So, um, I I said before the season that Lloyd Pierce was gonna get canned, uh, probably around the middle of the season, and I was spot on right. Um, who else did 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 I say? Um, I think yo, uh, Ryan Saunders. Ryan Saunders. I said he was gonna get canned. I was right about that. Um, and then I, I, I said Scott Brooks and this guy right here, Luke Walton, were going to get canned, at least by the end of this season. <clears throat> so, you know, Luke Walton, uh, he's gone 47 and 65 over his two years in Sacramento. That's a 42% winning percentage. Not great. Um, you know, his offense has been okay. Even this season, actually, they've been a top 10 offense for the majority of the season. Um, but the problem with him is has been his mediocrity on defense or even worse than mediocrity his his uh you know his terribleness on defense so last year his first year in Sacramento they were the 20th ranked defense which is bad this year they're ranked the 30th ranked defense 
which is dead last in the league. So there's a reason why they're the 13th seed right now. Last year, they were the 12th seed. This year, they're the 13th seed, right? There's a reason why they're the 13th seed. And it's not because of their offense, because their offense has been great. It's solely because of their defense. And we're going to talk about this issue with the next guy as well um, that Hani is going to bring up. Again, defense, no matter what you want to say about, oh, it's slipping in today's league, which, again, it's a disproven theory that's just, you know, that that's just people who don't understand what defense is today that say that. Yeah. But again, that's a different that's a different discussion. Yeah. Um, there's stuff about oh you know like offenses, uh, offenses of advanced past defenses, which again valid statement. Um, defenses you know people say oh defense isn't valued, but this is exactly why you know defense is still very valued. It is one half of basketball, right? One half is offense, one half is defense. It's been that way since basketball was invented. It's going to stay that way until basketball, well, whenever, I don't know, whatever happens with the world, right? So, you know, Luke Walton's been terrible on that side of the ball. Um, And that's a major reason why the Sacramento Kings have sucked for the past two years under his leadership. Then you get to some of the stuff in the locker room where he's had issues with players such as Buddy Heald, um, such as Marvin Bagley. Though, again, Marvin Bagley's situation is more of his father than Marvin Bagley himself. But, you know, there is some tension, I would say, there. Um, You know, specifically with Buddy Heald, it was the botched Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich situation from last year, right? Where they completely botched it. And then, essentially, you know, you draft a good young player in Bogdan Bogdanovich. I don't know if they drafted him, but they had him. Um, and you were kind of forced to just let him go for nothing, right? And then not to mention the fact that you had him clash. Well, Buddy Heald clashed with Bogdanovich, right, um, in terms of their roles. And Luke Walton was not be able to do anything about it or, you know, relieve the tensions. So Luke Walton on that front hasn't been great either, you know, on, on the court and then off the court. But I think this is going to be a theme with a majority of the guys on this list. And that's the fact that the responsibility, no matter how much I bash Luke Walton, 100% of the responsibility I can't delegate to Luke Walton because of the fact that Luke Walton is just on a terrible franchise. Sacramento has been a garbage fire, uh, dumpster fire, has been a garbage franchise for the last approximately 15, 20 years, right? Let's be real. They they haven't made the playoffs in was it thirteen straight seasons something of like that. It's they been a long the, time, man. They have the longest uh you know um losing losing streak ever, uh, or currently I mean, you know Sacramento's being a garbage franchise, right? Which is why I can't put a hundred percent of the blame on Luke Walton. I mean, look at what his team is right now. Besides De'Aaron Fox and you know Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, and well Harrison Barnes being pretty good and Rashawn Holmes being pretty good too. But, you know, Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes are near, are closer to the average category than they are the star category, right? And, you know, you can say the legitimate, only the, the only star on the team, the only guy that's been definitely above average is De'Aaron Fox. Now, I'm not going to talk about Tyrese Halliburton because he's a rookie, right? It's his first year. Um, but aside from that, what what else has... You know, previously Vladi, Vladi Divac given Luke Walton. What is, you know, the current management doing right now? Nothing. Vladi Divac gave up, uh, you know, passed on Luka Doncic because he had beef with his dad. Like, seriously, bro, that's that's literally what the Sacramento Kings are as a franchise. 
that pretty much sums it up. So I can't put 100% of the blame on Luke Walton. But I will say this. Luke Walton, I think, I said this from day one too. He was not supposed to be hired for the job, right? Uh, I thought he was underqualified for the job. He, I never saw him as being that good. His, his one, you know, star on his resume in terms of his coaching career was that stint in Golden State where he took over Steve for Steve Kerr when Steve Kerr missed was it fifty something games or, or whatever yeah, it was during like the during the what twenty sixteen season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like he's never been a good coach. I never saw anything myself that made him. It made me believe that he was a good coach, especially with his tenure and with the you know LeBron obviously, and that that year did not go well. So Luke Walton, I think, was has never been a good coach in my opinion. I don't think he should have been hired in the first place. But again, that goes back to my problem with garbage management, right? Why did you hire Luke Walton? Yeah, there's a lot of other candidates out there, out there, and they hired Luke Walton. So you know, just to summarize it up, bro, like pretty much Luke Walton is our first candidate to be on the hot seat. Um, now again, I don't think necessarily that he's gonna be canned uh, during this season. But, you know, I think definitely in the offseason is where he, his, you know, his job security could definitely be questioned. Yeah, I think Luke Walton has just, and especially in recent times, has really just showcased himself as a pretty average to below average head coach. Like, honestly speaking, like, he's, there's nothing that really stands out besides, like, what he did for Golden State, which, again, was basically him running Steve Kerr's system. You know, and again, it's pretty easy to have that success when you have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green on that team. Uh, I, not to mention, he, didn't he have Harrison Barnes too? Yeah, he did have Harrison Barnes. Is that okay? I don't remember exactly what year it was, but you know, either way, they had the nucleus of Steph Curry, Clay, and Draymond, and whoever else was around. It was a talented group. Then Andre Godala, Sean Livingston. Again, that that was a very talented group of players. So, not I don't. I think you can put a lot of you know average coaches in that position, and they could have probably had similar or the same level of success that Luke Walton did. But even with the Kings, you're just seeing them; they're just really, really bad. Like if you even look back to a couple of years ago, uh, under uh, who was their coach? Dave Yeager. Dave Yeager. Yeah, they were at least making it to the almost making it to the playoffs. You know, they were fighting for that ninth seed. They were pretty competitive to get into the eighth seed. And then under Luke Walton, you can just see just slowly the you know that all that progress just diminished. Now again, Dave Yeager, I like him as as an X's and O's guy, but as far as the locker room guy, apparently he has a really bad reputation. There's a reason why he doesn't have a job Ex- or a head coaching job. Exactly. <laughs> but again, the Kings were making progress, and the fact that Luke Walton has you know hasn't improved that situation is very telling as to how he is as a coach. And again, you were talking about the defense. It, and we're gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about this with the next with the next guy as well. But defense is so important in this league, and we're seeing it now as Raptor fans, especially with how poor our team is playing. Is like the fact the fact of the matter is that you know it all starts on the defensive end. If you can't stop a team from scoring, you're you're in no position to win a basketball game, and that's really where the Kings are. I mean, they have some nice young players. I like I like De'Aaron Fox. I, Tyrese Halliburton has been a rev- revelation. Amazing, like that. Amazing. He's a very, very good player. Uh, who's gonna be better? Get a lot better. I mean, unless the Kings corrupt him, which jury's still Hopefully out. Hopefully not. Jury's still out on that one. Uh, Marvin Bagley has shown flashes again, but we've seen what Buddy Hield can do. 
but again, it just comes back to, you know, Vivek Ranadive and his management of the Kings organization. It's just been poor for a very long time. Uh, Pretty like, much since he inherited the team. Yeah, like I can't remember the last time the Kings were even relevant, man. Like, Facts. maybe, like you can argue maybe they were a little rele- relevant with Demarcus Cousins, but even then, like they weren't winning. I or, mean, he was the sole reason why they were relevant, if anything. Right? Yeah. So again, I I'm not gonna be surprised if Luke Walton even gets fired now by the trade deadline. But yeah, like moving into the off season, I can certainly see. You know, his job security being put into jeopardy. So, yeah, Luke Walton's definitely a candidate, a coaching candidate who's on the hot seat. Which brings us to our next guy who we've been alluding to, uh, Uzish and I should alluded to, who's on his hit list. Uh, and it is good old Scotty Brooks, head coach of the Washington Wizards. Now, he has a record of 163 and 194, which is a 46% winning, percent winning, winning percentage. Uh, and... Again, now Scott Brooks has been the coach of the Wizards for the last five seasons, believe it or not. And again, I had to look that up. I didn't know he was Time the, flies. Yeah, like he got hired back in 2016 to be the coach of the Wizards. And it has not been a great tenure, to say the least. Now, again, the Wizards, as of recently, have been doing pretty well. I think Zeeshan brought up this stat while we were making the notes or like editing our notes was that, you know, the, the Wizards are actually 7-2 and two against the top six teams in the Western Conference, which is... Surprising considering they are currently the 13th seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and again, they've, they've beaten some good opponents. They've beaten, you know, Utah as of recently as today, the Lakers, Denver, Boston. So they definitely have some good wins under their belt. But man, this has not been a good season for the Wizards overall. And Scott Brooks is a very big part of the reason why that's the case. You know, and he's just... At least from what I've seen of it in his tenure with the Wizards, he's just not a great coach overall. You know, the team's record has gotten progressively worse every single year he's coached the team. Like in twenty in his first year, 2016-17, the team was 49 and 33, second year 43 and 39, 32 and 50, 25 and 47 last year, and now they're 15 and 25 to start this season. So you can just see like that that downward trend. Now, again, is it entirely his fault that like the Wizards team around, like, that he was given wasn't the greatest? No. But he's also, like, also Scott Brooks hasn't done anything with his team. In fact, he's doing what he shouldn't be doing, actually, and relying more and more on Bradley Beal and not really utilizing the players that he does actually have, particularly some of the young players he has. For instance, Denny Avdia is a big name we brought up on a couple of episodes, actually, was the fact that you know, he was touted as being this playmaking, you know, stretch, you know, you know, playmaking point forward type of player. And Scott Brooks has him standing, on, standing in the corner for spot up threes. Like, instead of giving that guy the ball, you know, allowing Bradley Beal to play off the ball, which, again, he's very capable of doing. Scott Brooks doesn't put, put Denny of the in a position to succeed. Another guy is Rui Hachimura, who's shown flashes of being a very good rotation piece. There are just times where he never gets the ball or he's standing in the corner like Danny Avdia or he's just setting screens. Again, not really utilizing the player that you have there. And then another guy in Troy Brown Jr., who again, I've actually quite liked, quite liked in the, you know, the flashes that I've seen him in, except he never plays. 
Scott Brooks would ra- much rather play Westbrook, Ish Smith, uh, Hal Nato, uh, and everybody else he can name in front of in front of Troy Brown Jr. Which is my point is that like you have a young player, you're not going anywhere. Why not just play the young guy and see what see what you have in him? So again, Scott Brooks, although he doesn't have the greatest collection of talent, he's not really utilizing the talent that he currently has in the roster. Which then finally brings me to the biggest problem with Scott Brooks and his way of coaching this team. The defense has been absolutely garbage in his tenure. He's never had a top 15 defense in his entire tenure with the Washington Wizards. You know, and the biggest issue that you see, no rim protection, you know, horrible, just horrible switching. Like, I don't understand what the hell they're trying to do. They have weird rotations in the sense that you know, they put in a lineup with Hal Nato, Davis Bertans, uh, Denny Avdia with Bio and Westbrook. Like that's literally like four out of like four, maybe five guys. All five, all five. Sure, all five, and Bio isn't trying. Who, who literally can't guard anybody? So just weird combinations like that, and then just no effort. Now I get it. The Wizards have been a kind of pathetic and run of the mill franchise, but. You know, there are just times where the Wizards just don't try. And that, although, again, a lot of some responsibility has to be put onto the players, but the co- it's the coach's job to energize their team and to get them to play hard each and every single possession. So, yeah, the bottom line with Scott Brooks is he hasn't developed any young players, he hasn't shown any growth with this team, and the team has gotten worse during his tenure, which... To me, it's the trifecta of it's time to let him go. It's time to fire Scott Brooks. Yeah, man. Like you said, it's been um, it's been five seasons, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't even realize that until you said it. <laughs> time flies, right? Five seasons? Listen, man. Like, I've had my criticisms of, um, of you know, coaches, even when they're, like, in year three, right? Luke Walton, for example, like, he's in year two. Scott Brooks is in year five, right? So, that's a completely different ballgame. Yeah. Um, I was on Reddit recently, and uh, I saw, like, a Wizards fan ranting about how garbage the Wizards were and how, like, pathetic Scott Brooks as a coach was. Um, I think I think the, the thing that they pointed out pretty much summarizes Scott Brooks. Um, and it was the – it was he was breaking down the, um, the Wizards versus the Grizzlies game. And in order to blow that game wide open, the Grizzlies went small with uh, Brandon Clark at the center spot. What did Scott Brooks do? He put Robin Lopez in at the center spot. And he put, like, Davis Bertans at the power forward spot. And, uh, you know, the Grizzlies demolished the Wizards in that fourth quarter. And that, you know, that pretty much sums it up. Like, first of all, Robin Lopez is not a good center, at least in this stage of his career. You know, at least... At one time, he was, like, an average center. Solid. At this stage of his career, he's not doing anything, right? So, first of all, you put in Robin Lopez. That's already a problem, right? But then you're doing that to match up with a guy like Brandon Clark, who can run up and down the court, right? He's shown the ability now in his second season to at least, you know, decently space the floor a little bit. Um, still not great, but he can do it a little bit. Um, and then obviously you have him as a, his primary function is a lob threat on offense, right? C- crash the boards, um, you know, rim runs. Robin Lopez is not going to be able to defend and move his feet in space. So why would you make that decision? The answer is nobody knows, right? Scott Brooks probably doesn't know himself. That was probably like a, you know, a situation that summarizes Scott Brooks entirely. One more thing I'll add about um, Scott Brooks is he got this Wizards job because of what he did in OKC. 
Um, and, you know, the Wizards front office had hoped that he would be able to replicate his success in OKC in Washington. The problem was, and we saw this in the latter stages of his OKC tenure, he was just not good, bro. The only reason why OKC was good because it was because they had guys like Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, right? They had a very good overall team with a lot of talent. They were one of the yeah. most talented teams we've ever seen. Also, um, Washington brought uh, brought him in to potentially recruit Kevin Durant to Washington. Exactly that too, um, and you know Washington wanted him there to be able to try and replicate what he did. The problem is he really did not do that much, and you can see this even in his OKC days. Um, you know, famously, what was the OKC offense? Right, give the ball to Kevin Durant, let him let him ISO and try to make a jumper. Give the ball to Russell Westbrook. Let him attack the rim, right? And Kevin Durant in his, you know, his whole burner situation, that's pretty much what he said, right? Obviously, he went about it the wrong way, but what he said was pretty valid. It, like, he wasn't wrong about what he said. Um, and that pretty much, again, summarizes Scott Brooks as a coach, where for me personally, I've never seen anything great from him. I've never believed that he's been a good coach. Um, and, you know, the mark of a good coach is being able to get the most out of his, out of his team. And Scott Brooks has definitely not gone the most out of his team for the past five years. There's no way a team with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, a team with John Wall and Bradley Beal, should have been as bad as they are or should be as bad as they currently are. There's no there's no way they should. Give this team to Greg Popovich, we'll see them do some real work. Give this team to Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens. They'll be much better than they are right now, for sure. And that's Scott Brooks' problem, which is why, you know, as as you pointed out, I, I have to say, I think he might be gone this offseason. But again, with the Washington, historically, Washington's management has not been that type of front office. And, you know, they've had their issues, which is why they've been garbage pretty much since, I don't know, the last time they won a championship, which is what, when they were named the Bullets. So, please trade Blair to Beal. Just free Blair. Yeah. Just free Bradley Beal already. Facts. So yeah, definitely um Scott Brooks we would say is on the hot seat and could be fired pretty soon. The next guy, I don't think we can say he's going to be fired pretty soon. Actually like he's not going to be fired uh anytime soon. But in terms of our discussion of who's on the hot seat, this guy even though his situation is definitely the most different uh compared to everyone else on this list, he is still on the hot seat for um, a variety of reasons different, again, different to what the other guys on this list are. And I'm talking about Mike Boonehoser. Now, Mike Boonehoser, um, you know, he's led his team this season to the third spot in the Eastern Conference. They currently sport a record of 26-14. and 14. Um, Again, for those who don't know, I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Mike Boonehoser, like, I'm not going to go, you know, talk about him, like, too much because of the fact that, like, we first of all, we've talked about him a lot. And second of all, everyone else has talked about him a lot. Like, he, he's being talked about to death. And, you know, I'm just going to summarize pretty much what the conversation with him is and why he is, you know, on the hot seat. Um, and that's because of the fact that he's a great regular season coach. We've seen what he's done with the Milwaukee program. Before he got there two years ago, two, no, three years ago at this point. Uh, before he got there three years ago, Milwaukee was like a middle of the pack, you know, six seed, seven seed kind of team. Um, and he automatically vaulted them into legitimate championship contention. He, you know, he gave, 
he brought them to what top five or I think they were top five in both uh, offense and defense in the first year. Yeah, um, something like that. Definitely top ten. So they were a, he vaulted them into elite elite category, right? Um, where they were a historically great team, both the first year and the second year. Unfortunately, his problem is his playoff performance, right? Um, again, he makes no adjustments. He's very stubborn to his system to a fault. And we know in the playoffs, coaches have to be able to adjust on the fly in between quarters, um, at timeouts, at halftime, in between series games. You have to be able to adjust. Otherwise, you're not going to win in the playoffs. We saw this firsthand with a guy like Dwayne Casey, who, you know, spoiler, we're going to talk about a bit later. Mike Budenholzer has, is very stubborn. Um, he doesn't make any adjustments in the playoffs. He has weird rotations um, that he mismanages. You know, we saw this um, in against Toronto and against Miami. Runs random 11-man rotations in, in the playoffs. For example, you know, when he was playing like pack content like 28 minutes last last uh, season against Milwaukee, against the Miami Heat, right? He runs the same Giannis system, right? No, barely any off-ball movement, um, barely any Giannis pick and rolls, um, no Giannis post-ups, right? Again, Giannis isn't great at post-ups himself, so I won't fault Mike Boonholzer for that. But, you know, it's the, the system of give the ball, to Giannis at the top of the key, everyone space out for him and let him try to put his head down and attack the paint. That works in the regular season. It doesn't work in the playoffs, especially if they're matched up against a team that can, uh, you know, legitimately defend that action. You know, Toronto, Miami. Um, and then finally, you know, on defense, you know, they give up a bunch of threes, famously, right? Um, and they continue to do that in the playoffs, even when it's not working. You know, they keep running their traditional drop coverage. Um, with their big men and we saw Miami especially you know bust this defense wide open Miami was tailor-made to beat that defense because they did not miss you had Jay Crowder shooting like 80 percent right exactly if they're gonna if you're if they're gonna shoot like that you got to be able to make your adjustments and go out to the three-point line maybe you got to give up some mid-range jumpers but you know they're they're giving up you know they're doing their same drop coverage defense and that really hurt them that brings me to this season where, to his credit, Mike Budenholzer has tried switching things up. You know, a, a big part of that has been Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday famously was the one who wanted them to run more switching on defense, which they have. Um, but, you know, the adjustments that he's made this season have been mixed, to say the least. Um, at one point, they were the 19th ranked defense, and this was without Drew Holiday. So, you know, you can look at from both pers- perspectives of, you know, is, if Drew Holiday is not there then that means, you know, like Milwaukee just sucks without Drew Holiday or that Drew Holiday is, you know, a key ingredient for them and it makes no sense to look at them without Drew Holiday, right? Both, both I think, arguments are valid, but there is something to be said for the fact that they were at one point the 19th ranked defense. Since then, they've climbed back to ninth, you know, top 10 defense. But again, it comes down to, you know, mixed results throughout the season. We talked about it in a couple of episodes ago. Uh, when we were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and the struggles that they were having at the time. Um, now they've been a lot better, but, you know, nobody's looking at Milwaukee's regular season anymore. Everyone is looking at the playoffs. And I think one situation or two people that I can compare Mike Boonholzer to are, you know, Dwayne Casey and David Black, both guys who were in similar situations of, 
you know, they had a good team, but they were just never able to get their team over the hump. And David Blatt's situation, he got he got fired in the middle of the season, right? And they ended up winning the championship without him. Dwayne Casey got fired at the end of the season. Raptors won the championship next season. So, despite the fact that Mike Boonehoser is a very good coach, we could be looking at a similar situation, right? Um, and, you know, the fact that he had the same issues in Atlanta didn't help. Now, again, he went up against LeBron, which doesn't help. But there's something to be said for, you know, a repeating pattern um, and for a team that wants to have championship aspirations. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the comparison of to Dwayne Casey and David Blatt. With just the fact that Coach Budenholzer is great at doing a, one thing, and that's instilling a culture and bringing out consistent winning. He's able to, you know, get guys to play hard. He's able to, you know, develop players. He's able to, you know, just cultivate a system and a culture, which is exactly what Dwayne Casey did for Toronto. He cultivated a system. He made a culture. Uh, he developed players. He did all the right things to be a good regular season coach. The problem is to be an elite championship level team, you can't just focus on the regular season. You have to factor in the playoffs. And the playoffs is where a, you need to make adjustments. You need to be adaptable. You need to be able to be uh open-minded to changing things the way, changing the way you do things and Mike Budenholzer has has hasn't shown an ability to do that and that has really hurt his team's chances think about it this way when the Raptors won the championship two years ago that was probably the best opportunity to make it to the NBA finals you know if we're thinking about it from that perspective like the Bucks had a great team playing very well uh, and the Raptors again. They had obviously they had Kawhi, but you, you you had the Raptors on the ropes. But what happened? Nick Nurse adjusted. Mike Budenholzer didn't, and that ended up being the Canadian sweep, which we will all remember very fondly as Raptor fans. But you you see the idea here. You see the point of the fact that because he didn't adjust, and even we can point out last year against Miami, didn't adjust. What happened? You got beat bad by the Miami Heat who were the four seed, by the way, and made it to the NBA Finals. So, all that being said is, you know, I until Mike Budenholzer can prove himself in the playoffs, we he's on the hot seat. Just because of the fact that Giannis just signed another five-year extension, and he needs to win now. If you are not able to win with Giannis on this team, with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton... You got to change the coach because you can't change the players because now you have Giannis locked in. You have Chris Middleton, I believe, locked in. You have Drew. Ho- you have, you can you're gonna you're most likely gonna resign Drew Holiday as well. I think he has one more year. Sure. Yeah. Still. Regardless, still has one more year. this is your core group of guys. You can't really make any changes to these guys. You are, you're already hard at the hit. You know, right at the, up at the cap. Mike Budenholzer has got to get it done in the playoffs, and if he doesn't, especially this playoffs, if he doesn't, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks cut cut him loose. Yeah, like again, it's just about that thing uh, of you know just changing coaches um, who who you think like firing a coach who you think is able to get you right there, but just not able to get you over the top, right? Yeah. And you know, Mike Boonehoser is good at what he does, to your point. But yeah, you know, at the, at some point, if you have legitimate championship aspirations, you gotta explore all possibilities. Yeah. So Mike Budenholzer is definitely a coach who we consider is on the hot seat uh, heading into this offseason. 
Moving on into the next coaching candidate. Now, this is a candidate who has has a good reputation of being a solid head coach. And that's Steve Clifford. He's currently the head coach of the Orlando Magic. Uh, he's been the coach now for the last, uh, including this season, for three seasons now. Uh, and he's had a record of 88 and 106, so about a 45% uh, winning uh, percentage, which, again, isn't, ter- isn't terrible, but isn't great now. Orlando hasn't been the greatest team, but at least you can say one thing under Steve Clifford. For the last couple of seasons, they have made it to the playoffs under him. So, although as the eighth seed, but they've had had some success with Steve Clifford. Now, I guess the best way to describe Steve Clifford before diving into him is, say, is to say that he's a very solid head coach, especially on the defensive end. Again, he gets his guys to play hard. Players love playing for him. He knows how to develop a system. Uh, doesn't make mistakes. Doesn't right? make like that's one of, one of the biggest points about him, right? He yeah. coaches his team to as much perfection as they can. Yeah, and again, he's he's able to get his players to play hard, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like a Steve Clifford defense is always great. The problem, Steve Clifford can't coach offense. He he just can't. The last in his three seasons with Orlando, uh, his teams have ranked twenty second in offense in 23rd in offense in twenty nineteen twenty, and this season they are twenty seventh in offensive rating. Um, so that I mean, if that doesn't tell you anything that they suck on offense, I don't know what it is. Now, granted, this season they've had a lot of injuries. Obviously, they don't have their best player in Jonathan Isaac. Uh, Markel Fultz is well, also second, injured. I would say second best. Uh, second best. Second. Well, he's the he's he's the future. Jonathan Isaac is the future. Uh they don't have Marco Fultz. Aaron Gordon has been hurt this season as well. So again, it's just basically Nikola Vucevic and whoever else they can find uh to play with him. So I don't a hundred percent put put the blame on Steve Clifford there. But the fact of the matter is this team is isn't good on the offensive side of the ball. And one of the biggest factors of that is is that he still hasn't figured out how to use Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac, which again, neither did Frank Vogel. He didn't know how to do use them either, and that really hurts the team when you don't really know who's your main scoring option or who's your who's the guy that you're gonna, you know, how you're gonna use these two in tandem. That really messes up your offense, man. Like as good as they are defensively, which Jonathan Isaac is great defensively. You got to know who, how you're running your offense, and still not having figured out how to use these two. That I mean, it's it's pretty apparent. Now I did mention that his team does play hard, but again, they're not really put into the best positions to succeed. You know, especially in an offensive driven league, you need to be able to score. And the biggest thing, the reason why their offense sucks is their three point shooting percentage. It has dropped each year, as well as the attempts. Which means they are they aren't shooting the three well. They're not shooting it as frequently, and that makes it very tough to win games. You know, if especially in in today's league, shooting the three ball is basically almost as valuable as getting layups. You know, if you can't shoot the three ball with consistency, you're not going to be able to keep up, no matter how great your defense is. And the Magic have been bottom of the league in points over his tenure. You know, they they just can't score. Which again. You know, in basketball, to win a game, you got to outscore your opponent. So you might be able to hold them here, but if you can only score up to here, 
<laughs> you know, you're going to lose the game regardless. So bottom line with Steve Clifford is, again, he's a solid defensive coach. And he can get players to play hard and compete. He just can't coach offense. Uh, and in a league where offense is so important, it's hard to keep a coach, coach like this around. And I think for Steve Clifford, if he does end up getting fired by the Magic, which I think they should do in the offseason just to get a younger guy in there to match their timeline, I think Steve Clifford would be a great defensive coordinator type of uh, coach, assistant coach for a contending team because he can still coach, coach, coach defense. He just can't coach in this coach offense, especially in this modern NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it for for Steve Clifford, right? One of the more uh, respected head coaches in the league. Like, again, I'm going to cut some slack for Steve Clifford because of the fact that if you look at his roster, he's never been really given that many options or tools on offense. Like, you know, you you look at them for the past couple of years, um, and they're very very one-dimensional on offense. You know, um, point of fact that, like their only dribble, you know, shot creator on the team has pretty much been Evan Fournier for the for the last couple of years. Um, their only, you know, quote unquote shooter on the team has been like Terrence Ross. And then aside from Nikola Vucevic and aside from those two, you're not really getting any scoring production or consistent scoring production from anyone else, right? Aaron Gordon is up and down. Jonathan Isaac is still obviously a bit raw on the offensive side. Um so yeah, other than that, you're not really getting much offensive production from anyone else. And again, to my point previously about some of the other guys on this list, bad management has you know has something to do with it. Um, you know, management kind of screwing the coaches over has something to do with it. But you know, Steve Clifford, as a head coach, that is his responsibility responsibility to get the most of his guys. Fortunately, he hasn't been able to do that. He kind of had the same issues in Charlotte. Right now, again, Charlotte wasn't the greatest team either, but you know, I think I think pretty much what you said. Right, he's one of the more respected coaches in the league. He's one of the more respected voices in the league. He's good at what he does. Right, he's good at his defense. He's good at instilling turnover-free basketball. He's not great at coaching the offensive side of the ball. Put him on a team on a bench as an assistant coach, as a defensive coordinator kind of role, and I think you could really see him be successful. Um, and help a team, you know, compete and win a championship. So, um, yeah, again, like Steve Clifford, nice guy. I think universally respected. But, you know, Orlando's probably going to have to get someone new, just get a new voice in there um, and get some, hopefully, some creativity, a, a coach that can provide some spark on offense. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to our final candidate who's on the hot seat. Now, again, I don't, we don't think he's going to be fired this season. Maybe not even in the offseason, but he is definitely on the hot seat. Um, and he just hasn't had the greatest amount of success. And we're talking about Dwayne Casey. Now, Dwayne Casey uh, has had a 72-116 and record over his three seasons in Detroit, which is pretty terrible, if we're being real. A 38% winning percentage. Um, he, got, he got this job because of the developmental role he had in Toronto. Um, the success that he had in Toronto, and also one of the more important things that he did um, in Toronto, and as well as in, in his Dallas tenure as the assistant coach, famously in the 2011 finals, um, is his defensive rep, right? He has a defensive reputation. And that, those were the main reasons why Detroit wanted him, um, you know, to be able to get them from a team that was skirting around the playoffs 
um, as you know, an eight, nine seed kind of team and get them over the hump and get them into the playoffs and be able to have some success in the playoffs. Now, in his first season, he did pretty solid. You know, he, he went, what, 41-41, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he got Detroit to the eighth seed. Um, and, you know, based on the fact uh, that he had his 11th-ranked defense, right? So he did what he had been hired to do in his first year. Now, obviously, they got booted out the first round by LeBron and company. Um, but, you know, nobody can really blame uh, Dwayne Casey for that. But, you know, again, it was a trend, um, you know, that we saw in Toronto and Detroit in the first year. But after that, pretty much it just went downhill. Now, the roster construction, to say the least, hasn't been great. Um, and the fact, you know, Blake Griffin's decline, huge decline, did not help either. Uh, but, you know, Dwayne Casey, for all the stuff that he does well, he has his faults. And, you know, we've said this a couple of times as Toronto fans. Like, we, we saw it firsthand, right? He He's never been a good offensive coach. They've been bottom 10 in the league during his tenure in Detroit. Um, you know, now you can say, oh, Toronto was a pretty good team overall. But now we know, and we saw this, you know, especially when... They went to the Nick Nurse system and Dwayne Casey's last season in Toronto. A majority of the reason why their offense was as functional as it was is because of Nick Nurse, right? And we saw that firsthand. Dwayne Casey has never been a great offensive coach. Um, you know, he had his issues in Toronto. Uh, he famously had, you know, was not able to adjust to anything in the playoffs. You know, so he had a number of problems that, you know, for example, uh, as I was talking about with Mike Boonehoser, right, kind of similar situations. So, you know, where he was brought in to fix those situations and, you know, fix the, the, the problems in Detroit, he has not been able to do that successfully. And, you know, they've been terrible. Now, right now, they're the bottom team in the Eastern Conference. The only thing that's probably saving Dwayne Casey right now is the garbage roster construction that has occurred in Detroit for the past 15 years, right? 16 years or whatever it's been. They've been terrible, right? Let's be real. They've been terrible since pretty much since LeBron booted them out of the playoffs in 2007. They've never recovered from that, and they've been terrible. So Dwayne Casey, that's probably the only thing that's saving his job right now um, because other than that, there's not... There's not too much of a reason why you would fire him, but there's not too much of a reason why you would keep him around either, right? Like, there's not much that he does great that you can say, oh, this is the reason why we're going to keep him. Not to mention the fact that Detroit has a very weird team where there's, like, a couple of older players, a few young players who are not really that great. One rookie in Sadiq Bey who's turned out awesome for them. Jeremy Grant was a good signing. But they're in a very weird situation, and Dwayne Casey... You can't really point to him and say, oh, this guy does X and X really well, and which is why we're going to keep him around. So, again, I don't think he's in any danger of being fired immediately, but Detroit management could look at him in the offseason and evaluate him and, you know, say, are there, is there any reasons why we shouldn't fire him? Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to describe Dwayne Casey's situation with the Detroit Pistons. Now, again, as Raptor fans, we have a lot of respect for Dwayne Casey, especially what he did to cultivate uh, the past seven years of success that we've had as an organization. Dwayne Casey was a big part of that, of instilling the culture, the pound, you know, the pound of the rock. You know, we've heard we've heard all this all this thing, make or miss league, Doug, and 
you know, all those gems like that, you know. But we got to give credit to Dwayne. You know, he came in with the focus to improve the defense, uh, to get this team winning games, and he did that. He got this team winning games. He got the, this uh, like a very bad Raptors team to the playoffs, and for that, and like he really was big into the development of Demar Derozan, Kyle Lowry. Uh, he was big in their in their growth, and you know those guys still have a lot of respect for Dwayne Casey. But then you got to the situation that Mike Budenholzer is kind of approaching, where the team was stagnating, and a lot of that had to do with Dwayne Casey's inability to make adjustments on the offensive side of the ball. So Masai Ujiri decided to fire Dwayne Casey hire Nick Nurse, and we saw what that did. That allowed the Raptors to win a championship. Now, there a lot of people are arguing that if you gave Dwayne Casey, Kawhi Leonard, and Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, would there be a better result? Maybe, nope. but... No, nope. no. We would have lost to Philly if it was Dwayne Casey. Cool. Maybe, again. I can say that for a fact. We would, have went set, we would have went at least six games against Orlando, and we would have been booted by Philly in like five or six games. Listen, I think Nick Nurse is the better coach of the two, just overall. Uh, so I, I, from that point of view, I don't think Dwayne would have as much success as Nick did. But again, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't know. There's no way for us to know how that would turn out. And Dwayne got the job with Detroit, which again, he did well in his first season. But since then, you know, the terrible roster construction in Detroit has just really made it a very shitty situation for them. Now again... Uh, they just torched the Raptors last night, which doesn't help. Bro, the Raptors suck right now, anyways. They do, but I Sa- mean, Sadiq Bay is—he's a player. Uh, but um, again, you have guys like Jeremy Grant, who again seems like a good signing. But what else do you have? You don't have a ton of draft capital. You're kind of like in a bad situation with the cap. So it kind of comes back down to what you were saying, where. Is there a reason to keep Dwayne Casey around past this season? I think personally, for not only for Dwayne Casey, but for the Pistons, it's in their best interest to kind of part ways. The Pistons should go for a younger guy who fits their timeline, a guy who they know they can give time to develop. And Dwayne should get an opportunity to go win another championship. You know, it's been like, what, a decade since he won a cha- won championship with Dallas? I think Dwayne should have a chance to go compete for a championship again. Whether that be as an assistant, uh, which most likely would be the case, but I think it's in their best interest to part ways. Yeah, it just comes down to the fact of, like, is there a reason to keep him around? Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, like, is there a valid reason to keep him around or fire him? Um, And it just comes down to the fact that, you know, it's just a a weird situation. And again, Dwayne is a solid coach. And we're not, we're not bashing him as he's, just like Steve Clifford, very well respected. Uh, again, one of the very few African American coaches uh, in in the NBA uh, coaching, and you know he's he's a, still a solid coach. Like players still like playing for Dwayne Casey, but it's just gotten to the point now where his style of coaching is kind of becoming outdated. Now credit to Dwayne, he's has done things, made some strides to improve himself. But yeah, it really comes down to should Detroit move forward with him or not. Yeah, like the Detroit's in a they're in a different situation than what they hired 
Dwayne Casey to be in, exactly. right? Yeah. They they hired him to get them to the playoffs and make some noise in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, now they're in a completely different situation. So I think in that case, at that point, you know, you kind of got to see what you can do with another guy. Yeah. So those were the, were the coaches that we feel are on the hot seat heading into this offseason. Definitely let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, what coaches do you think is, are going to be on the hot seat? Uh, do you Whether or not it will be a coach on this list or another name that you feel uh, we should have talked about in this episode. Definitely let us know. Which brings us into the up and under segment to end off this episode for this week. Uh, first off, we have some old news, obviously from last week when we recorded the episode, but we didn't give our reaction to it, so we want to bring it up in this episode. So are you up or under on the Brooklyn Nets signing another player? Because again, they need every single player to win a championship. They signed Blake Griffin after Blake Griffin was bought out by the Pistons where he gave up $13 million dollars to facilitate a buyout with the Pistons. Um, I'm under on it. I hate it. Loki, I mean, not Loki. I hate it. Obviously, I don't want Brooklyn to get any more players. Um, but, you know, I'll let you take this, you know, because obviously uh, you, you got a couple of thoughts about it. Look, so last time we recorded this, I went on a huge rant uh, about this. And I'm still going to do it because how many damn players does Brooklyn need? Like, it, it's just at this point now where it's like, okay, Blake, you wanted to win a championship. Did you have to go to Brooklyn with KD, Kyrie, James Harden, uh, DeAndre Jordan, uh, and whoever else, Joe Harris, all the other guys they have in that team? Did you really have to go to that team? Like, seriously? You could have gone to the Lakers, who would have loved to take you. You could have gone, even hell, even gone back to the Clippers. Which, again, I don't know if that could have even worked. But, it's an option. But no, you chose to go to Brooklyn. Hell, you could have gone to the Bucks, And I still wouldn't have said shit. But, like, it, it's, it's even from that standpoint of, like, Brooklyn even went after him. Brooklyn was like, yeah, no, we want to go after you. Which is, like... To to the to the fan, it's just a big like, like oh screw all of you, like because like we're just gonna get every single player and gar- pretty much guarantee to win the East. I think I can pretty much say that at this point in time, if all these guys are healthy, I can guarantee Brooklyn Nets will win the Eastern Conference. Like, I don't know what else to say. I mean. I honestly, I still have, uh, I'm still debate, uh, debating whether, you know, between Philly and Brooklyn. No. But yeah, you know, to your point, like Blake Griffin, I, again, I can't fault the team for doing it because the team is going to do what's best for them, right? But it, it just makes for a more diluted and like a worse product yeah. to the fans, right? That That's that's the crux of the situation, right? Like for, for the fans, it's not... It's not great. And, you know, the main customer is the fence. Um, so, Blake Griffin going to Brooklyn does not sit well with, I think, most fans of the NBA. Not to mention the fact that now they're trying to get guys like they were trying to get Andre Drummond. Now they're trying to get JaVale McGee. Now, uh, you know, they're trying to get... Uh, they also want J.J. Uh, Redick, too. Yeah, bro. They're, like, it comes Why down not? to the fact that, like, bro, they're trying to get, like, everyone. You know, Every like, player. how much more stacked are you trying to get? You know? So, like... To be the 36-year-old. <laughs> exactly like it 
it comes it's the whole discussion of like the whole player empowerment era and like you know this whole super team era and whatnot like we've had this dis- discussion before we've talked about it plenty of times we're going to talk about it again sometime in the future it's it's a different topic but you know i think for both of us we can both say as as fans of the league as fans of the sport we're not particularly uh receptive to this move um so next up we have some trades um you know the first trade we have is probably the biggest one to date the season um and it is the houston rockets milwaukee bucks trade where the rockets receive dj augustine dg wilson a 2023 first round pick and also they can swap their uh 2021 second round pick for milwaukee's 2021 first round pick as long as it doesn't fall within the top nine um, on the other hand, Milwaukee Bucks received P.J. Tucker, Rodion Skrugs, and a 2022 first overall pick, um, or first round pick, sorry. And in a subsequent trade, the Bucks traded away Torrey Craig to Phoenix for cash considerations. So are you up or under on this whole trade, particularly um, P.J. Tucker going to the Milwaukee Bucks? I'm actually up on it. I think, because P.J., obviously, we speculated in our last episode, so definitely check that out if you haven't done so, that P.J. Tucker was going to be one of those players who's going to be on the move by the deadline. He wanted out. He wanted to go to a contender. And the Bucks are a clear contender. And again, he really fits what fits Milwaukee in the sense that he's a defense. He's a guy who can play defense, can guard multiple positions. Uh, he And he's a, he's, he's, he's a good floor spacer for Giannis. You put P.J. Tucker in the corner, you know it's automatic for P.J. Tucker. So, well, I mean, minus this season. But, you know, hopefully he can revive it. I think he will revive it. Again, he's automatic from the corner. So, again, getting P.J. Tucker for the Bucks is is pretty good for them. Then, not to mention, the Rockets, again, they they get D.J. Augustine and D.J. Wilson, which, you know, the Bucks finally got rid of D.J. Wilson. <laughs> well, took, I mean, he technically got they got rid of him in the beginning of season in the Bogdanovich trade. But, uh, you know, that fell through. I was so happy then. <laughs> I just don't like him. I, I I don't like him. But regardless, I mean, the, although the the players are kind of meaningless for the Rockets, the fact of the matter is they got a, they got another first round pick, and they're able to swap a second round pick for a first rounder. Not bad for the Houston Rockets. I think if if they do get that, they would have three or four first round picks in the draft, something like that. They have something pretty insane like that. So. It's not a bad trade for both sides. Again, is it the best return Houston could have gotten for PJ Tucker? No, but we kind of talked about this in when we were in the last episode where, you know, if there were the Rockets are going to trade him to a contender, it's not going to be for a super high value because again, there's not a ton that contenders are willing to give up. So yeah, like there's not there's not much contenders can do. Like this was around. Ideally, you'd want something more for PJ Tucker, but this is you know, the value of around what he was going to get from uh, from anywhere. You know, his age is up there. Um, he's having a down year. Like, you know, there wasn't much the Houston Rockets could receive. But they did get a first-round pick of it. Um, it's probably not going to be a great first-round pick, but they did get a first-round pick of it. And then they can obviously get a first-round pick of it this, this season, right? As long as, um, you know, Milwaukee's first-round pick doesn't fall within the top nine, which it 99% probably won't. probability it won't. Right, so the Rockets pretty much got two first round picks out of it, which is pretty solid. You know, even if they're not high picks, it's pretty solid for a guy that was going to leave anyways, right? Um, and a a older veteran player. 
Um, I also like the fact that you know uh, Phoenix picked up Tory Craig. Oh yeah. I think that was a that was a pretty solid move for for them. Right, just another guy on the bench who can who can they can throw out um, for a couple of minutes a game. Who can provide some defense. Who can provide some floor spacing. Now you know he wasn't getting any runtime in Milwaukee because he kind of just he was kind of he kind of sucked for them. Um, so you know, hopefully, if he goes to Phoenix in a new system, he can try and you know replicate his success from Denver. Um, so I think that's a pretty you know solid move for Phoenix. Overall, I would say this is a pretty solid trade for everyone involved. You know, um, and you know PJ Tucker, Milwaukee picking up PJ Tucker was a very solid guy, uh, solid pick. You know, they can put him. Um, in certain situations, they can bring him off the bench to play some defense and hit threes, which is all you can really expect um, and ask for a guy of P.J. Tucker's caliber at this stage in his career. Yeah, so obviously that was a pretty decent trade. Another trade that actually went down, uh, I think was, was yeah, this was this also happened the other day. Uh, it was a trade. I think it was two days ago. Maybe. It, it happened very recently. Uh, it's between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Miami Heat. This is a trade that sent Myers Leonard to the Oklahoma City Thunder and a 2027 second round pick. Yes, uh, Sam Presti is literally going after 2027 second round picks. 14 uh, year olds, man. <laughs> 14 year olds at this state right now. Uh, and Miami receives Trevor Ariza. Now, obviously, we'll if you have if you've been living under a rock, then you probably wouldn't know the whole situation surrounding Myers Leonard using a not smart using not smart. an anti-Semitic. Uh, slur and during a Twitch stream and yeah, who knows? The guy blew his career in like two seconds. Pretty much, it's so basically less than the NBA players stay off, stay off Twitch, stay off Twitch, uh, or keep your mouth shut. Uh, exactly. But yeah, Oklahoma City basically trades with a second round pick and they gave up Trevor Ariza to Miami. I mean, I'm up on it. Uh, you know, from OKC's point of view, they said Myers Leonard isn't going to play for them. Um, again, Myers Leonard pretty much blew his career in like 10 seconds. Right? Not smart from him. Um, you know, obviously he apologized and whatnot. I'm not, I'm not going to say whether he was, you know, obviously he was wrong, but I'm not going to say whether like he should be indicted or whatnot. You know, there's other people who are, who, are, who you know, take precedence over me in, regarding that situation. Um, but yeah, Myers Leonard... They pretty much just got him for, you know, to make the salaries work. Um, and then Sam Presti got another pick, right? Like, now this guy's like, this guy's like a thousand five picks over the next, like, ten years or whatever it is. So, OKC got a pick of it for a guy that they weren't even playing. Um, and I frankly forgot that was even on the roster in Trevor Reason. Now, from Miami's point of view, um, you know, like, I don't think, I don't know how, I, I I don't really believe in Trevor Reza at the stage of his career anymore. He's kind of, in my opinion, washed. But if there's a team that can get something out of him, it's wow. Miami, right? Um, and, you know, him, if they can throw him out there for a couple of minutes as a 3 and D guy, kind of replicate what Jay Crowder did for them last season. Because that's probably one of the main issues they've had is trying to replicate Jay Crowder's production from last season. So getting a guy like Trevor Reza, I think, at this stage for Miami is the most they'll be able to probably do. Um, so I think it's a, it's pretty much a low risk, you know, high reward kind of thing for Miami. So I think for, for them, it's, it's a pretty solid deal. But, you know, again, I don't really have that much faith in Trevor Reza at this stage of his career. Yeah, I mean, even if Trevor Reza can replicate like 60% of what Jay Crowder brought, 
I think that'll still make this a decent race with Miami, who has who have literally completely turned their season around and are now the four the four seed because that's how crazy this NBA season is. Because Miami started at thirteenth and they up to four, insane. But yeah, getting Trevor Ariza is not a bad thing for Miami, and uh, yeah, Oklahoma City got a second round pick, so yeah, you get a second round pick with Trevor Ariza, so it's not about not bad. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And finally, for our final point of the open under segment, we have our final trade that we're going to discuss, and this happened around you know five days ago or something around that time. Um, and it was a deal between the OKC Thunder and the Detroit Pistons. The Oklahoma City Thunder receives Fee McKayluk and a 2027 second round pick. Um, and Detroit received Hamadou Diallo. So are you up or under on this trade? I mean, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I'm I'm up on it from the sense that another pick for Sam Presti. Uh, but I think what this also does is it also addresses an issue that Oklahoma City had, which is... They didn't really have shooting, uh, and Speed McKaylock he can he can shoot the ball. So and also he wasn't really being used that much in Detroit, anyways. Uh, so why not trade him to Oklahoma City, who they might be able to use him or flip him or do whatever Sam Presti wants to do with him. Hamadou Diallo, I think, would fit very nicely with what Dwayne Casey's trying to do. Like he's long, he's athletic, so maybe Dwayne Casey can do something with him. Um. But yeah, I think it. I think this was just Sam Presley just saying that we have a guy in Lou Dort who basically plays the same role and does it better than Hamadou Diallo. Let's move him for someone who can fill a need for us while getting another pick. Because why the hell not target fourteen yeah, year olds? Like, <laughs> yeah, this sounds a bit like weird when we put it that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, like OKC, they got a pick out of it. They got a good shooting fee. Um, who's quietly one of the I think better shooters in the league um obviously he wasn't being utilized that much in detroit so you know okc kind of had a lack of shooting and you know they picked him up Hamadou diallo is pretty interesting because he was kind of raw in his first two seasons um this season he's taken that breakout step and he's been quietly one of the thunders you know better players so uh it'll be interesting to see what he can do in a situation in detroit where they've already said that they're gonna you know try to give him as much you know resources and help him as much as they can and continue his progression so i think it's it's definitely a great move um for for him you know he'll, he'll get the opportunity now in detroit and uh you know detroit hopes he can at least you know turn into something pretty solid for them yeah i mean overall i mean that was just a pretty pretty solid i mean it was a decent trade i mean again it's very under the radar but it's a trade nonetheless but with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Up, letter N, under podcast, Facebook.com slash Up and Under Podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's also a place where we post blog post with every single episode so that we don't have time to listen to the full thing you can read about it on our website so definitely check that out if you haven't done so and yeah man just stay tuned trade deadline is i think within a few days now from when we're recording this so definitely stay tuned to 25th i think 25th so definitely stay stay tuned to the next the next week's episode where we're going to break down hopefully some big trades that happen during the trade deadline 
So with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Take it easy. Easy.